Okay, take your Bibles this morning, one last time, for 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Lord willing, we're going to finish 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to try, I'm watching the clock, I'm going to try in a timely fashion to get through with this like I did in the Sunday. Well, actually, see, I gave myself 15 extra minutes because I got through 15 minutes short in the Sunday Bible class hour. I can run over 15 minutes in the worship hour, so. We do appreciate your presence. This, this message, I've entitled it for the last time, Our Light Affliction. Our Light Affliction, Part 3. You know, you and I, we know very little. And I, I mean, I'm grateful because, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want persecution and tribulation. I don't. I'm not seeking for it. And... In reality, when I think about my life and the way the Lord has so graciously blessed me and Pam and my family and our church family through the past 36 years together, I am amazed and astonished that we have had as little trouble and difficulty as what we've had as a church family. And I'm thankful for it. But I know this much. Our Lord Jesus Christ promised us that in the world we're going to have tribulation, whatever it is. And I'm of the opinion, and I think most of the tribulation that we receive is not so much outward, it's mental. It's in our minds. It's as we're tormented with who and what we are and our faults and our failures. And as we see ourselves as forever always <clears throat> not loving God the way we should and not loving neighbor as ourselves, and, and finding Satan as he attacks us, as he finds such a strong ally reminding in us, whispering in our ear and into our hearts and into our minds and into our understanding, you can't be one of God's children. That, that's tribulation, is it not? To think that I'm not saved? To think that there's a possibility that I could miss eternal glory? Well, not only is it tribulation, but I tell you what, it's sinful too to not take God at his word, to not believe his promise. Paul had told those at Galatia, he said, I am crucified with Christ. And he was. Every day. And you know what? You and I are too. Nevertheless, even though I'm crucified, what do I do? I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. We're still living in these bodies. I live by the faith of the Son of God, and listen to this, who loved me, and he loved me so much that what did he do? He gave himself for me. Why? To secure my salvation. To guarantee my eternal life. You know, after Christ met Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, he went to his servant Ananias, and he told Ananias, you go down there, I'm sending you to Saul of Tarsus, and you go tell him what the Lord, his purpose for his life. Listen to you. The Lord said unto Ananias, because Ananias said, Lord, I've heard about this dude. I'm afraid of him. I know he's got letters. And our Lord said, Behold, he prays. And he tells him this, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. In spite of what you heard, what you think, he's a chosen vessel unto me. 
to bear my name before the Gentiles. That, listen, that's us too. You realize your role in this life, do you not? I hope you do. Oh, that's my role to be a good husband, be a good wife, to be a good grandfather, to be a good father to my children, to be a good neighbor. Oh, we should be all those things and more. But that's not what we're here for. What are we? We are ambassadors of Christ, he'll tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. We're calling on sinners, all of us. The, the, the work of the ministry is not me getting up here and flapping my jaws every Sunday. The work of the ministry is all of us, you and me included, to go out into this world in which we live with our friends and our family members and even our foes and do what? Preach the gospel. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. He said he'll preach my and bear my name to Gentiles and before kings, before the children of Israel. And then listen to what our Lord says. He doesn't say you're going to show him this, but he said, for I, for I will show him how great things he must, he must, you hear that? He must suffer for my name's sake. And I'll tell you what, true to God's word, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, had come to experience in his life exactly what the Lord had promised him. What our text started off with when we started this study in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that exactly what he said in Galatians chapter 2? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live, including me and you, are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest or revealed in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in you, in us, but life in you. But now here's the thing you and I have to learn from this truth. What Paul experienced for his name's sake is exactly what is promised to all God's redeemed in every generation. Listen, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. You hear that? Where, where's our peace? In Christ. In the world, you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He told them this, Paul said this, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them, listen, admonishing them to continue in the faith. When I think about that, exhorting them to continue in the faith, he goes on and he tells them this, and that we must through much tribulation 
How, how, how much? much tribulation, great tribulation, enter the kingdom of heaven. I cannot help but think about that parable of the wheat and the tower, the, the parable of the sower and the seed. When our Lord Jesus Christ talked about those that received the seed into stony ground, and they sprung up immediately with great joy. But when persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by what happens to them? They're offended. So he admonishes them to what? Continue in the faith. Tribulation's coming. Not your house burning down. Not your kids getting sick. Not you losing your job or your money evaporating. That's not the, that's not the tribulation in the world we have tribulation. He's talking about what? Suffering for righteousness' sake. Surfing over the gospel's sake. Persecution and tribulation for his name's sake wasn't something reserved only for Old Testament saints. Or the apostles, or that group of individual believers who immediately after the receiving of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost suffered greatly for his name's sake. You hear me? They did. You and I don't. Uh-huh. You think about this. These people after Pentecost, those, those Jews and those Gentiles believe. They lost everything. Many of them lost. Stephen lost his life. And he didn't lose it over his personality or his character or his conduct. He lost it over the words which he spoke, just like our Lord. And see, in order to make this truth clear, the Holy Spirit moved Paul to quote King David's words from Psalm 44, verse 22, when he wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, as it is written, for thy sake, now this, this is David speaking, Psalm 44, verse 22, for as, for, as it's written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul's goal by declaring these words in this chapter we're looking at, was to confirm the souls of God's elect and what they actually possessed due to their oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ as their surety, as their substitute, as their Savior, and as their Redeemer, as well as to encourage you and me, all of God's elect, to see these tribulations that are promised to us for righteousness' sake are not a curse, but what are they? They're a confirmation. They are a confirmation that we're in Christ. That's the role of the gospel preacher in every generation, not to, not to, to threaten people. What's the, what's the work of the ministry? Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith the Lord. Speak comfortably unto Jerusalem, not that one. The Jerusalem that's above. What do you tell her? Cry unto her, her warfare is accomplished. She hath received her that her iniquity, she, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she, she had not in herself, but in the Lord, she's received double for all her sins. You think about that. Our Lord sweat as it were great drops of blood. Have you done that? Have I done that? Paul told those in Hebrews, you hadn't resisted yet sin under blood. We ain't. He did. Now, look at our text. Look at verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith. 
That's important. We possessing the same spirit of faith according as it's written. I believe, therefore I've spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. You can't speak about something you don't believe. You hear me? If you don't know whom you've believed, you can't tell somebody about whom you believe. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that true? Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus, knowing that, convinced of it, shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. By these words, we having the same spirit, Paul wasn't merely speaking of the doctrine set forth in the Scriptures, but was speaking specifically of the grace of faith, what he's talking about here. Meaning a God-given belief in the doctrine set forth in the gospel concerning the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as the exercise of that gift of grace concerning the death and resurrection, because he's talking about the death and resurrection of Christ in these two chapters. The death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to you. Who was delivered for our offenses. And it, 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 that's true. We, you know, everybody believes that. Don't believe it's saving them, but everybody says, oh yeah, Christ died for our sin. Who was delivered for our offense, but was raised again. He was raised again for our justification. Keep in mind what Paul told those Corinthian believers. He said, if Christ be not raised, if, he, if he's still in a tomb somewhere, he said, your faith is in vain. And he said, we're found what? Liars. Because we've preached that God raised him from the dead. What did he raise him from the dead for? For our justification. And these verses that I just read to you in verse 13, 14, or these verses in 1 Corinthians 15. I'd, I'd encourage you to go read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 through 18. If you look at those verses and you look at the words of our text, especially verse 14, when he tells us in our text, he says in verse 14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and present us with you. Paul tells us, Turn the page. <laughs> My notes are stuck together. That's the first time that's ever happened. He's told tells us that the same spirit of faith regards a looking of true faith with full assurance that all God's redeemed, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be resurrected with him. And it, it's that faith is in this, not in ourselves or in some profession or some change. It's a, it's a faith in who made the promise. Who promised us it? Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus. Who raised him up? God did. And we know this, what God's promised, like Abraham. We know that what God has promised. He doesn't make any vain. Well, we make promises all the time. I'll come help you move thus and so. And then something comes up. Huh? I'll be there when you need me. And they call you when you need them. They need you. Not there. Our God's not that way. What he promises, he's able also to perform. 
But now this is so important. Now if you don't get much out of what I have to say this morning, please get this. Paul stated of himself and all God's elect, all God's redeemed in every generation, we having the same spirit of faith. That original word translated, we having, it means to have, that is to say to hold or to possess, and it actually bears the connotation of having it in my hand in a sense of wearing it, just like I'm wearing this ring, Kenny. No, we got whatever, whatever this is, we have it. We're not hoping to get it one day. Here's the same word. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. You don't believe to get life. You believe because you got everlasting life. Here's the same word. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Not hoping to get it. Or if he does enough or changes enough or holds out long enough or he's more moral enough or sincere enough. No, 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 no. If we believe what? We have the Son. Believe the promise? We have the Son. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not. There's the same word. They don't have, they don't possess. They don't own. They're not wearing in the sense of their, his righteousness is made theirs. Hath not life. These things have I written unto you that you might believe on the name of the Son of God and that you might know that you, and here's the same word, that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I remember that guy that I started in with years ago back over at that old false church stressing to us all that there was no way in this world that it was a dishonor for God for us to take him at his word. He'd say, you better not be too cocksure for heaven. Is that scriptural? Is that in line with the language what I just read to you? All God's redeemed, they're not hoping to have or striving to gain the spirit of faith. They possess it even though it's in these vessels of clay that he talked about at the beginning of this chapter. And to confirm it, what does he do? He quotes from King David in Psalm 116, verse 10. That's why I read Psalm 116 to you in the call to worship. According as it is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. That's what David said there. And that's why I'm telling you, you go back and you read David's word. King David, when he wrote that, he was in great distress. He said, my soul is at the verge of death. And yet, what did he still do? I believe my God. Huh? The just live by faith. The righteous live by faith. Taking God at His word. And Paul declares the same language of himself and all those who believe. We also believe. And therefore, what do we do? We speak. Why? We know whom we believed. It brings to my mind the words that Paul said. He said, For the which cause I do also suffer these things, Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Why, Paul, why are you not ashamed? For I know whom I believed. And I stress to this, it don't say I know who I believed in. 
He says, I know who I believed. What I believe, I believe what he said. Not what you tell me he think he said. I believe what he said. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Because of whom Paul believed, he had confidence and assurance in the face of any trial and tribulation that God sent his way. Take that to heart. Every trial, every tribulation that comes your way, who sends it? Religious people said, well, the devil's after me. The devil's got them. The devil might be after the children of God, but I tell you what, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but he can't devour any. Because our God has them hedged up. And he, he's encouraging us to do the same. Take God at his word. Look at the next thing he says. For all things. Think about this. All things are for your sakes. That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. I don't think Paul could have used or made a more broad and comprehensive statement than this. All things are for your sake. And I tell you what, the scope of this phrase, all things, reaches to all the things of Christ, as well as to everything that occurs in the lives of his people. All of it. It's the same all things that Paul so confidently and dogmatically declared to those at Rome, what did he say? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I, I, I love the way old John Gill writes on some things and on this all things in our text. He wrote this in his commentary. He says, The incarnation, obedience, death, and resurrection of Christ are all for the sake of God's elect. And so the ministry of his apostles and his servants, their gifts, their graces, their comfort, their experiences, and so likewise all their reproaches and afflictions and persecutions. These were endured for their sakes, intended to their establishment in the faith. Were for the furtherance of the gospel and of the faith and joy of the saints. And this gave no small pleasure. In other words, it gave them a lot of pleasure. This gave no small pleasure and relief to them under their sufferings. That they were of such use to others. Moreover, all their deliverances, when any in any imminent danger, were for the sake of the churches. You know, they had Paul in their hands several times, and God delivered him. You know where he delivered him to do? To go preach the gospel to somebody else. You think about Paul and Silas. This is a familiar story. When they were imprisoned at Philippi for preaching the gospel, for righteousness' sake. And when they were put in prison, they were given to a Philippian jailer. And you know what that Philippian jailer did under order from those that gave him 10? He beat them 
And it said he made their fast, their stocks fast. He tightened them down, inflicting pain on them. But, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. And listen to that. We're so weak. (laughs) Can you envision being in prison for righteousness sake? Not not because you killed somebody or did something wrong, but just for the very reality that you've told sinners that God has freely and fully forgiven all His people. They sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Huh? You envision that. They, those other prisoners knew. They, they probably they heard the tightening of the stocks. They listened to them as they were beaten. I don't know what was in me. I know one time Paul said I was beaten several times, 40 stripes saved none. Huh? 40 stripes. Most I you give me one, I, I mean, calf rope, you know. Let me loose. Humanly speaking, does that seem good? <laughs> you couldn't say it was good. Yet the this suffering for righteousness' sake, you know what it did? Exactly what he tells them. It redounded to the glory of God. How do we know that? And suddenly, as they sang praises. And praise. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, everybody's bands were loosed, and the keeper of the prison, the one that had tightened their stocks and it had beat them, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, we all hear. He could have walked out. Everybody could have walked out. We're here for a reason. (laughs) What's he here for? To redound to the glory of God. What's God's glory? I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. It'd be hard for me to have compassion on somebody that beat me and put my stocks tight around my hands and my feet. Yet Paul says, don't do no harm. We'd have probably stood back and said, go ahead. <laughs> no, we would We wouldn't. We wouldn't. And he came in, called for light, and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And you know the rest of the story. Paul wrote to that young preacher, Timothy. He said this, Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This was God's promise to Paul that he would be God's witness, enduring much suffering for Christ's sake, yet the salvation of God's elect meant everything to him. And you know what it should mean to you and me? Everything. 
verse 16. Nevertheless, verse in wrong chapter. For which cause we faint not. We're back at the beginning. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. If you think back, Paul started off this chapter concerning the sufferings he and all God's elect would endure with similar words. He said, therefore, seeing we have received this ministry, we don't faint, we don't falter, we don't back up. Oh, to have a love and a true, genuine desire for the salvation of God's elect like Paul so that we don't faint. But are willing to endure all things for the elect's sake. Paul spoke from firsthand knowledge, folks. He said, But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Listen to this. I mean, this is astonishing. Listen to what this man actually endured for the gospel's sake. Listen to this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prison more often, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with a rod. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. You know, we read about one of them, but three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. But thy those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the thing that burdened him the most, the care of all the churches. He'd been through everything. But in spite of it all, in spite of everything that's listed there, all the outward circumstances, life being so awful, by faith, what does he say? Yet the inward man, what? It's renewed. Day by day. That original word translated inward, you know what it means? It means the soul. His soul was renewed day by day. And that original word translated uh, the, the, is renewed. It means new strength and vigor given to one. I wrote this into my notes. How was Paul given new strength and vigor? What gave him new strength and vigor? Here it is. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge, in knowledge after the image of him that created him. What? The knowledge of Christ. A fresh awareness of who and what he was in Christ. I love what old John Gill wrote on these words. He said, the internal hidden man of the heart, the new man, is in a prosperous condition. Our souls are in good health. The work of God is comfortably carried on in us all. We have sweet and repeated experiences of the love of God. We are growing in grace and in knowledge of Christ. And I love this. And as the palm tree, the more weight that is hung upon it, the more it thrives. And like the children of Israel in Egypt, the more they were afflicted. 
what happened to them? The more they grew. Go read the book of Acts. They put pressure on the church, and the only thing that they did by putting on pressure on the church, you know what they did? They themselves spread the gospel of God's grace everywhere, even to the point that they said the whole world's gone after them. But I've been trying to get to these next verses for the last six sermons, and I'm here now. For our light affliction, which is but a far moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Think about what Paul had endured for Christ's name's sake. That's what we need to do. Think about this man. That word translated light means light in weight, or here's what it means. It means quick, sudden. Appearing like a vapor and for a moment it's gone. Whatever trial we go through in this life, Folks, if it lasted 10 years in a, in a scheme of time, you know how long it lasts? Pam said this morning, she said, you know, Zoe, age doubles. She'll be 15. And it seemed like yesterday when we first introduced her, her to y'all as a little baby. My, th- my words to Pam was, let her age double, old Richard would be seven, almost 74 is what Richard would be. <laughs> and it'll pass like that. It will. And that word translated affliction, it means the same thing it's meant through this whole chapter. It means pressure or oppressing or tribulation. And here's the thing. I wrote this into my notes. Somebody says something about us or something back to us over something we have or have not said. Or like me, you write something, some post on social media. Or some family member questions us about our unwillingness to compromise the gospel of God's free grace. You know what happened? We almost melt. Get our feelings hurt and draw back. Yet Paul, what did he do? He endured all things for the elect's sake. And he said that all the tribulations, what were they? They were light. Actually, he says, declaring that they're all but for a moment. Just a moment. Look at what Paul says our light afflictions, which is for a moment, actually accomplishes in the lives of his people. Those light afflictions accomplishes for us, worketh for us a far more exceeding exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How can that be? How can trials and tribulation do that? Paul tells us that afflictions and suffering sent into the life of the children of God, what do they do? They work eternal glory for them. Not by way of merit. Not, it's not about the fact that we suffered and made it through. Because let you think about it. None of our sufferings, none of our afflictions are worthy to be compared with the glory that would be revealed in Him. In glory. Paul said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Afflictions, trials, suffering for his name's sake, folk, they work as a means of enjoying what God has so freely and richly bestowed on us through his grace based on Christ's obedience unto death. Just like God's word and his ordinances, 
Suffering is a means of our growth in grace and knowledge of the truth. Think about what Paul told those at Philippi. He says, for unto you is given on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on his name, or what give Suffer for his name's sake. James says, count it all joy when trial and tribulation comes your way. You think about it, by the light afflictions, and they are light compared to what other people have gone through in previous history in the church. The Lord tries and he exercises and he improves the grace of faith he so freely and richly bestowed on us, weaning us from this present world and drawing out our hope and our desire for that glory that would be revealed in us either at our death or in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't get Moses out of my mind. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming, now listen to it, esteeming the reproaches of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. What had he been promised? Eternal life. Eternal life. Look at verse 18 and we'll quit. While we look at the things, look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternally, are eternal. Now you listen to me closely. As children of the living God, we should not look at the things which are seen. That's what he's telling us quite clear. That word translated look means to fix one eyes upon or direct one's attention to. And he says, look not on the things that are seen. The original word translated by the phrase, and it's one, one word, five English words, the things which are seen means that which can be seen and discerned with the physical eye. Now you put that all together. He says, don't let your attention be drawn to and caught up with and drawn away by the things that you can see with these eyes, with your physical eyes. Why don't we look at the things of time and sin? Because everything that we see, what is it? It's temporal, which means for a season, enduring for a short while. Been with my wife 44 years. <laughs> it don't seem like 44 years. Maybe it does to you, but it, it doesn't it passed in a hurry. It's hard for me to believe my boys are 43, 42, something. They're old now. A lot older than I was when I started this journey. Grown men. And it passed by in a heartbeat. They're getting old just like me. Time passes on. Things go on by. Apostle John told us this in similar fashion, love not the world, neither the things that are of the world. If any man love the world, now take these words, Dart, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is of the world, or all that's in the world, not of the world, all that's in the world. That's everything. You do realize that, right? Everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. Yeah, what does those born of God look or fix their eyes on? The things which are not seen. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus. Can't see him with my physical eyes. Looking unto Jesus, the things that are not seen, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. By God-given faith, our heart, our mind, and our understanding is to look away from what's temporal and passing away and are to be fixated on Christ alone. His blood and imputed righteousness alone. Him in whom all the promises of God are yea and in Him, amen. Because He, Christ alone, the one that we're to look, He is life eternal. And our life is hid with God in Him. King David's word expressed the mindset and the desire of every one of God's children. It should be, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is no, think about this, there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. I tell you, this knowledge given by God to his children enables us to look at every trial and every tribulation and see behind every trial and behind every tribulation the smiling face of our Heavenly Father and our merciful elder brother, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as He directs all things for His glory, for our good, and for the advancement of His kingdom in this present world. Now we'll stop right there and we'll come back and we'll pick up with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, maybe not next Sunday, we're coming back to 2 Corinthians 5. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your presence. Lord bless you and keep you till we see you next Lord's Day. Donald, if you would dismiss us, please, sir.